So what we're seeing with the energy poverty issue is that low to moderate income communities are spending a disproportionate amount of their income on their energy bills. How much is it costing them to keep their house cold in the summer, in times of peak heat or warm in the winter? And are they having to forego certain medical costs or food? And this really is what we're talking about when we're talking about energy poverty. I think it's something a lot of people take for granted, but it's absolutely an issue, especially in a state like Texas. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Joined, as always, usually through technology, but because of uh, the way things fell today, Mr. Mike Niemer, you and I are in the same room today. How about that, Fred? If, you know what? The last time we did this, first our very one. first podcast. Yes, yeah, very six, first. Sixteen shows ago. <laughs> That's right. Sixteen shows ago. Here we are, uh, episode number seventeen. Glad to have you guys on board, and uh, we are very, very excited uh, about uh, our our guest that we have uh, on this episode, Miss Sarah Ryan from the Environmental Defense Fund. We'll give you uh, a quick bio on her in just a second. But um, listen, we're looking forward to ending the year twenty twenty on a bang. Uh, we've had a great month of December so far for the Green Insider. E Renewables had a tremendous year uh, as well. And, uh, of course, we'll let folks know uh, after we get done talking to Miss Ryan a little bit about what we've got planned for 20, at the end of 2020. We've got one more big episode that we're excited about, Mike and I, uh, and then we'll give a little tease for 2021. But before we get to all that at the end of the episode, Mike, I'd be remiss if we didn't let folks know. Have you tell the folks at home that are new to the podcast, that are new to eRenewable, just a little bit about what eRenewable is about. Yes, sir. Thank you, Fred. Well, eRenewable, we are involved in renewable auctions. Unbundled RECs, we help companies with their microgrids, renewable natural gas projects, and LED lighting and efficiencies. So uh, we try to be a full-service company. Our customers have requested all of those things from us, so it's kind of forced us into that. Even though we started as just the auction, uh, COVID has driven us to be more than just that, so it's been a benefit for our company. And so hopefully... um, uh, we can service them how we need to service them upon their request. And part of this podcast is for education. And I know Sarah today is going to teach our audience an awful lot about what she's doing in this space. And that's why we're here is just to help everybody learn what's in the market. So with that, I'll give back to you, Fred. I appreciate that, Mr. Mike. And uh, no, we're very excited about our guest today, Miss Sarah Ryan, Manager of Research Analytics and Energy at the Environmental Defense Fund. She's also uh, a board member over at Clean TX. You can see her work over at the Rocky Mountain Institute, Forbes Magazine, as well as energycentral.com. So she is a uh, Jane of all trades, and we're glad to have her on the show today. Miss Ryan, vehicle uh, electrification is, is one, of your, uh, one of your strong suits, and so that's what, one of the things we're going to discuss in earnest today. And um, before we get into kind of, like I said, your sweet spot as far as the light and heavy truck segment fleets and what have you, and of course how it's affected not just the United States, but he, right here in the city of Houston where Mike and I are located, EVs, electrical cars, as, as uh, they're commonly referred to, when you look at where they were at in the 90s, and we were having a conversation before the show started about just kind of the maturation and where this technology was 25 years ago to where it's at right now, we'd be remiss if we didn't say COVID was a factor, but let's call it what it is. 
Uh, EVs are not the, the foreign object they used to be five, ten years ago where we looked at them and said there's no way. They look like space cars. They look like regular cars now. They look like, you know, I mean, everybody's, I mean, not everybody, but they're, they're a big part of, of uh, you know, everyday cars. How did we get to this point in 2020, almost 2021? Well, I mean, I think, I think this is kind of, uh, it's been a, a natural opening in the market. We have seen the grid decarbonize throughout the years due to uneconomic and dirty coal plants closing. And that has meant that the primary contributor to greenhouse gas emissions has shifted away from the electricity sector and to the transportation sector. People are starting to realize crisis that we're in. We're going to need to start focusing on how we move people and how we move goods. Um, we've seen this technology advance over the last decade immensely. That's largely due to the, um, the development of lithium-ion batteries and, you know, those becoming more efficient, thus making electric vehicles more affordable. But in the last couple years, we've seen a tremendous growth in the market. Um, everyone from manufacturers to fleet owners and businesses basically saying, you know, this is a priority for us, and this is something we absolutely need to focus on. In this last year alone, 2020 alone, we've seen um, Amazon, FedEx, UPS, all uh, pledge to develop a fully electric model and bring thousands of electric vehicles into their fleet. Um, we've seen Ford, Volvo, Navistar, uh, Nikola, a bunch of uh, medium and heavy duty truck uh, vehicle manufacturers commit hundreds of millions of dollars to research and development in this space. And so, you know, we're seeing that enthusiasm also matched by big companies like Walmart committing to transitioning 100% of their fleet to electric vehicles. So I think we're seeing this huge surge in the transportation space, um, both from a technology standpoint um, and also just kind of a commitment to sustainable goals from companies and consumers alike. What is some of the biggest misnomers about uh, electrical vehicles? And we start to see more and more electric cars on the, uh, on the roads. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I deal with in my conversations with fleet owners um, and other stakeholders all the time. I think the biggest misconception and also the biggest barrier um, in certain vehicle segments is that they're simply too expensive. And, you know, yes and no. But what part of what I do at Environmental Defense Fund is analyze the total cost of ownership of different vehicle segments. And more often than not, you're going to see for a lot of vehicle types, huge savings um, in both the operation and maintenance category as well as the fuel category and that over the lifetime of that vehicle really helps to bring down the cost of those electric vehicles. I would say another big barrier that um, people have thought of when they think electric vehicles is the range anxiety. Um, oftentimes people think that they can't get from A to B with off, off of one charge of an electric vehicle and that is becoming increasingly increasingly less so the case with technologies improving, the efficiency of batteries improving. Um, people are able to 
to do what they can the same with diesel vehicles. We're getting there in the medium and heavy duty space. Um, Tesla has really broken some barriers with their Cybertruck in terms of the amount of weight they're able to pull um, and the range that they have. So I think we'll be there soon in the medium and heavy duty segment as well. Sarah, quick question here since you referred to the cost of the vehicle. Many moons ago, my wife was involved with the compressed natural gas industry. And how does your electric, excuse me, your electric car cost to convert compared to those of the compressed natural gas vehicle? That's a great question. Um, I can't give you a specific answer because it varies greatly on the, the different vehicle type that you're looking at. However, I will say that Due to large savings in the operation and maintenance, which is largely due to the fact that there's just less moving parts, as well as the fact that fuel prices are going, fuel or electricity prices are going to be cheaper, you're going to see huge cost savings for battery electric. And oftentimes, again, depending on the vehicle type, you're going to see it um, a stronger economic case to convert to battery electric as opposed to compressed natural gas. You mentioned Tesla earlier, and and I mean, listen, anybody, you don't even have to be a, a you know, renewable energy zealot or, or even just generic in the space to know the importance of what Tesla has done. Why has Tesla been able to break the barriers and mainstream electric cars where, you know, GM had their, what, their EV1 back in the 90s, you know, and don't, and, and listen, no hating on that. Hey, the Prius has got, what, 9 million cars on the road or something like that. I mean, listen, they've made serious inroads. We all know that. But what has Tesla been able to do? Is it simply because they just were, were all in on electric and that's the only car you were going to get? There was no uh, uh, gas version. It was just all electric all the time? Actually, Fred, I think that's a great point. Um, I would say that one of the reasons Tesla's been so successful and really not only kind of pioneering, being the trailblazer for electric vehicles, but being successful in doing so is that they never compromised on their product. You know, there was always this underlying mission that the underlying mission to advance the world's transition to sustainable energy. And you see that kind of reflected in in their products and the work they do, um, due to never compromising on their products, that's this sets a high standard for passenger EVs. Um, and now we're seeing them move into the medium and heavy duty segment as well. And so I think they've been able to be really successful because of their commitment to this. They've overcome some of these barriers I just mentioned, such as the range anxiety and Tesla models consistently have the longest range in the game, aside from um, the Rivian R1T model. And they also have kind of broken the barrier on the autopilot technology, which is just the beginning of a technology that will soon become ubiquitous in the transportation space. And, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention that Tesla has also made driving EVs somewhat of a status symbol and sexy, which technologically yeah, technological superiority aside, we have to admit that that impacts adoption. Aesthetics do matter. So they've really um, they've been successful in a couple of these categories and I think have have helped to really drive the EV market. 
It's funny you say that about the status thing, though. Um, you know, growing up, I'm dating myself. I'll be 40 next year. You know, growing up, it was all about wanting a sports car. It was all about wanting a Mercedes or a BMW. I've got an 18-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. They both want Teslas. They both want Teslas. Yep. Every time we see a Tesla, it's, <laughs> it's you know, forget slug bugs. It's, it's Tesla. So, uh, no, you're exactly right about the status thing. I it love is, it. It is a big deal. Both my kids want Teslas. Hey, you referred to driving hey, range. we can make yeah. being sustainable cool, let's do it. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, in your conversation just a second ago, you referred to the driving range of a vehicle. For those listeners out there that aren't familiar with what's a normal electric vehicle get, can you talk about those driving ranges in a little bit more, in miles, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as of like an average EV passenger duty vehicle will be somewhere in the 200 mile range. Tesla's pushing like 340, 360 miles, um, which is significant, uh, especially in that space. So they're really pushing the barriers with the, several of their models. And so that the mileage you gave there is just for one charge, a full charge. That's yep. how many miles they can get. That's great. Thank you, Sarah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dad, give me my head something on the top of my head. So, a little bit, okay, so we'll get you out of here. Well, we'll, 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 we'll put the uh, the EV thing to bed here in just a second as far as cars. But as far as passengers go. But but to your point, though, as far as what we're seeing, I mean, Ford just came out with the all-electric uh, Mustang, all right, which, you know, there's probably people mm-hmm. that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, being one of the original American muscle cars, we never would in a million years thought the one of the original American muscle cars is now really their first all-electric car, uh, if we're being serious about it. And then Subaru is coming out with a brand-new electric car in 2021. So, you know, and then you look at, I, was, I think I was looking at fueleconomy.gov. I mean, you had 13 new models last year come out that were all electric cars. Granted, eight of those were Teslas. Uh, Porsche just came out with an all-electric car. You got nine coming out in 2021. So, again, to your point, you're seeing now companies that maybe put it on the back burner and, and as you said, uh, you know, maybe weren't all in, realizing that, again, if we're going to achieve these 20, you know, the, the, these all-electric or, or 30%, 40% mandates by 2030, 2040, 2050, you're going to have to start using that technology. You're going to have to start diverting resources to an electrical uh, electrical fleet. Exactly. It's, it's been so encouraging to see, you know, every mainstream manufacturer essentially commit to creating Ford, for example, is creating an electric model for, for every single one of their vehicle types or their vehicle models. So it's, it's really cool to see companies doing that. I will say in general, over the years, the auto industry has been slow to adopt zero emission vehicle technologies, which in turn created an opening for upstart automakers like Tesla or Rivian or Nikola to emerge and gain customers from big auto. And, you know, you see Rivian won a hundred thousand electric delivery and freight truck deal with Amazon, which was huge. And Tesla is now a fortune 500 company after profitable quarters. So, so we're seeing, we saw these companies saw this gap in the market and jumped in. And I would say losing market share or the fear of losing market share is really has really been a key driver of remaking the auto industry around sustainability. Um, but to your earlier point about, you know, creating electric versions of these muscle cars, um, 
I was at an EV conference in DC a year and a half ago. And, you know, there were one or two people in the audience that said, I'm not going EV until they can make a reliable electric version of the F-150. And a lot of, you know, that's something I've heard down here in Texas a lot as well. As much as people, you know, care about sustainability and the economic component, reliability is truly something that um, I think automakers are, are focused on because they know that that's going to be um, a critical piece to getting people to switch to electric. And, of course, the infrastructure is going to play a huge part as well, is it not? Mm-hmm. As far as charging, having, having charging stations, and I know that uh, I mean I know Tesla's gone uh, has, has made great strides, and I, you know states like Washington have have uh, had made tremendous strides as well in making sure that cities like Seattle, where you know again they've got they've gone out of their way to make sure or, or put in robust plans to increase the number of charging stations that you'll find uh, throughout the state and throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I I do think it has to come from that level because. Where we're at right now, we're not, we simply don't have enough charging infrastructure to support the current EV penetration as well as the projected EV penetration. So um, I think this is something that does need to come from that level. I will mention that, you know, utilities are eager to tap into the EV market, Um, large scale vehicle electrification can actually reverse a decade-long trend of flat demand growth. They can stand to benefit from this, you know, movement and sustainability. But, you know, historically, program evolution has been slow to kind of evolve. So it'll be interesting to see who who truly capitalizes in this space. Um, the fact of the matter is we do need more infrastructure to support the growth that we're, we're facing. You know... I've got a client that's testing a pilot program where they put in smart streetlights, and from the solar and wind turbines on the streetlights, the excess power is taken over to a charging station where the city vehicles can charge, thus they're getting free power by doing that. And so I assume we're going to be seeing more and more of that coming across the country, but that fits right into the you know power stations, the charging stations. How are we going to get there? What's it going to take? Who'd ever thought light poles would be helping – facilitate all that right absolutely i mean i love i love talking about that value add because and v to g or vehicle to grid is the the common term for it in this space but um you know there is that element of how can vehicles provide value or provide value to the grid in terms of peak demand or um you know Uh, climate, uh, sorry, natural disasters, you know, points where the the grid is not as reliable or resilient. um, These batteries in the electric vehicles can actually provide support in that sense. So um, I think something that we're definitely, we definitely need to build out the capability to handle. I don't know if we're there yet from a commercialization standpoint, but that's a really cool um, case study. That's awesome. Well, and that V2G uh, mention that you just had, the the vehicle-to-grid technology actually dovetails perfectly to your sweet spot because obviously buses that we know, at least school buses we know, don't run nights, weekends, and, and on the, during the summer of schools anyway – 
if their electric can put back to the grid. But that again, that goes back to your point. You wrote an article for Forbes uh, that was in in this summer regarding you know with COVID, uh, you know folks that are, or, or municipalities that were making that push, school districts were making that push towards you know electric fleets. Maybe they were thinking about slowing down. Maybe there was discussion about stopping because of COVID. But you're you're saying not so fast. Yeah, I think um, so. There were a lot of projections when COVID hit around the decline in vehicle sales due to people moving around a little less. Um, I think, and passenger the the estimate is that the passenger car market will contract roughly 15% um, over the next year, while electric sales for passenger and commercial light duty vehicles will remain broadly at the same level. And I think the medium and heavy duty vehicle segment are kind of a bright bright spot for automakers that are seeing a slump in passenger vehicle sales in the wake of COVID. Um, Because, you know, as much as we might be seeing people move around a little less, we're seeing an uptick in the movement of goods. And so the sale of electric trucks and buses are expected to surge in the United States over the next couple of years, despite, um, despite the pandemic. So um, yeah, we're, we're bound to see commercial vehicles, uh, the models expected to double in the next three years. So. But what's the, so where are we at? I mean, what is the status quo of, of because I know one of the things that you've talked about in some of the articles I've read of yours is that, again, they're worried about cost, the upfront capital that's got to be there. And uh, as, as uh, one of your colleagues wrote about, I know you've written about as well, is, you know, again, it's an inordinate amount, right, of, of f- diesel diesel trucks, right? I mean, because that's the way it's been for uh, forever, right, since, what, the 50s. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to cut these emissions, if we're going to try to go, you know, uh, you know, go carbon free, these because these trucks, like you said, haven't stopped. I mean, yeah, they, 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 there's been, you know, folks have, have had to stay home, but, you know, the movement of goods has not. And so what are the right. what is the challenges facing the medium to light or excuse me, the medium to heavy duty truck segment uh, if they're going to achieve that hell, 30, 40, 50 percent zero emissions or 30, 40, 50 percent electric uh, electric fleet by the 2030s by the 2040s and so on yeah that's that's it's a great question it's a big question and um you know just to kind of elaborate on the point you made there there are 1.3 roughly 1.3 million evs on the road in the u.s currently and just a small fraction of these are medium and heavy duty vehicles so you can imagine you know in the U.S., EVs don't make up a large market share. However, as I mentioned, the projections are huge. Um, Bloomberg projects that the share of EVs, EV sales in the U.S. will reach 60 percent by 2040. So, you know, just in the next 20 years alone, we're, that is an exponential increase. Um, I think if we want to be ready to handle this growth and if we want to encourage this growth period, we need to overcome some of these barriers that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, such as the cost barrier. We can, yes, we expect the lithium ion batteries to increase in efficiency and come down in cost, bringing down the cost of an electric vehicle, but we need to encourage um, incentive programs or grants that will kind of help to fill this gap for upfront capital costs. 
Um, I also, you know, I mentioned efficiency with the battery. I think that'll that'll fix some of the operational problems we're seeing, such as range and the vehicles being able to handle the same in cold climates um, as as well as hot. So, you know, there are several operational barriers that I think still are, um, you know, impeding the growth of electric vehicles. But I think if we start to address those, you know, that will set us up for, you know, for success in this area. Um, I also would mention that we need to ready, we need to ready the grid um, to be able to handle these electric vehicles. So we need to update rate structures that will incentivize people to charge at certain times of day when we have more renewable energy on the grid as opposed to at times where there's more fossil fuels because electric vehicles are really only as clean as what you're charging them with. And um, we need to make sure that we're not putting additional stress on the grid with this added demand from electric vehicles. So there's several elements to this being a successful transition, which is part of the reason I love what I do. There's just so much to think about here, but, um, but I think that with the progression of where the technology is going and the amount of companies and manufacturers that are investing millions of dollars in this industry, we're going to see that happen. You wrote an article a little while back about uh, Evolve Houston and and Houston's push to, you know, obviously accelerate the adoption of uh, uh, electric vehicles. And the goal is for 30% of new car sales to be electric vehicles by 2030. All right. Um, have you had a chance to get an update on, on where? And obviously, <laughs> you wrote this, what, last year? So obviously, you had no idea. Nobody mm-hmm. had the idea that COVID was going to strike. So yeah. I'm sure that's obviously had an impact because I think you alluded to already that uh, EV sales are down 18% in 2020. So obviously, that's had an impact. But how do you, how does mm-hmm. a city like Houston and again you're you're you've been in Texas now for what 6 7 8 9 years now give or take so you've mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. i mean Houston's a oil and a die in the wool oil and gas town it's becoming more renewable friendly we all get that but is it realistic f- to think that we can have 30% in a city like Houston to have 30% EV sales by 2030 So yes i think it's realistic and um you know, I think it's important to mention that, you know, Houston, the energy capital of the world, is, you know, not just focused on the fossil fuel mm-hmm. element. They're, you know, we are seeing major oil and gas companies start to diversify and, um, you know, diversify their portfolios to include more renewable energy. Um, Shell, for example, acquired a, an EV charging company. So we're we're starting to see this this preparation for um, incorporating more renewable energies into into that mix. I do think it's possible. I think um, we've seen commitments from the city. The climate plan, I believe, also has an ambitious goal to electrify all municipal trash trucks by 2030, which if anyone's ever woken up to the garbage <laughs> trucks coming in the morning, uh, this will be an incredible um, value add to your quality of life because they will be much quieter. I was going to say, you won't wake up to um, them. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Um, which I will add will also allow them to operate at different, you know, in the night or at different times of day, therefore potentially increasing their efficiency with, with route rationalization and whatnot. But back to your original question, I, I do think it's I do think it's an achievable goal. Um, and I've actually worked very closely with Houston Metro, your transit agency, and um, you know, have had robust conversations with them around what it would look like to electrify and and why this would be beneficial. And we've had nothing but positive reactions. So um, I think this is this is a good um, a good beacon and um, bodes well for the future for Houston and and cities around Texas. No, I, I got to give it up to uh, Mayor Turner. He has certainly uh, done gone out of his way to 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 you know makes make Houston a green city and 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 you know improve uh, the the renewable energy efficiency of the city as a whole. And you and you're seeing it. Like I said, you're seeing it with what uh, with with the rail and what have you around here. And and uh, I just, I was just curious. I, I think and I'm with you. I definitely think it's possible. I I really really do. And I think as you alluded to earlier in the conversation is that as more and more companies push this mandate, you really don't have much of a choice. And and I think again. COVID has certainly helped open people's eyes up to the fact that, you know, things do have to, and, and COVID notwithstanding, but just the way, just life as a whole, that certain changes need to be made in, 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 in society and in pollution and, and in the climate and what have you. And I think that's helped. I think that's been one of the benefits. Well, I don't know how many benefits we've had from COVID, but that's certainly been one of them is that we've kind of reexamined how we handle things in society. And, and, you know, when there was no, I mean, I know from being here in Houston, when, when the lockdown went down for us, no cars on the road. It was crystal clear outside, and that was not an accident. Right? <laughs> okay. I mean, when you've got yeah. a, a lot fewer cars on the road, guess what? It smells a lot better. You know, trash trucks notwithstanding, mm-hmm. it smells a lot better when you walked outside. So, uh, I think there's definitely something to that. Uh, let me ask you this though. Again, and, and your, your boy Jeremy Mathers touched on this. Do you see this uh, uh, implementation of mid to heavy? trucks uh to that that truckload do you see these do you see that uh, uh maturation happening and again while there are laggards uh in this space do you see enough of it being able to take place sooner rather than later uh so it can meet those goals because again at least the, the ev car segment at least has got a little bit of a head start on them yeah hmm. that's kind of a that's kind of a multi-pronged um question and i i do yes i do think that there is a case for you know larger scale um larger scaling of medium and heavy duty vehicles but i as i mentioned earlier the economics aren't there for every medium and heavy duty vehicle segment so um you know it's a it's really a matter of kind of overcoming that upfront capital cost barrier um and like i said a lot of these OEMs manufacturers um, are pouring, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into research and development. So if we're not there yet from a commercialization standpoint, I think we will be there soon. All right. Switching gears here real quick and then we'll get you out of here because I know it's a, it's a Thursday for you. So you got things to do. So I appreciate your time today. Two things. One, uh, you helped co-author a report uh, not too long ago about, 
you know, Texas distributing clean energy resources. So I'm going to do one of my famous uh, multi-pronged questions. I appreciate you picking up on that. Uh, number one, where is Texas in regards to its commitment to clean energy? And uh, one of the things you touched on in that piece was energy poverty. What exactly is mm-hmm. energy poverty? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I love living in Texas is because, well, and working in the energy space is because of our, um, in our competitive market. And the thing in the last six and a half years, working in the clean energy space, being in Texas, I've seen the generation mix transform um, as a result of that. So we've seen, you know, a decrease in fossil fuels and an increase in um, renewable energy, such as wind and solar. And um, thanks to this highly effective competitive market, we're, you know, 40, we're seeing a lot more renewable energy come onto the grid, which um, becomes increasingly important, as I mentioned, when you're talking about charging electric vehicles. Um, But this is, you know, a fair amount of this is coming from wind. Um, and, you know, wind generally blows more at night. So if we can incentivize drivers to charge at this time, it will keep the grid more stable and, and keep those emissions down. Um, and actually, I'm really glad you brought up energy poverty. It's something I'm very passionate about. And I try and try to incorporate in all of my work. But um, basically, energy poverty is uh, lacking access to affordable, sustainable energy service. So what we're seeing with the energy poverty issue is that low to moderate income communities are spending a disproportionate amount of their bills, um, of their income on their energy bills. And we have done research at Environmental Defense Fund. We've also worked very closely with the Texas uh, uh, TEPRI, which is also a local Texas organization kind of devoted to this issue of energy poverty. Um, but we've, we've gone around and surveyed and done mass amounts of research on um, how much are people, you know, what proportion of their income is being spent on their energy bill? How much is it costing them to keep their house cold in the summer? in times of peak heat or warm in the winter? And are they having to forego certain medical costs or food? And this really is what we're talking about when we're talking about energy poverty. I think it's something a lot of people take for granted, but is absolutely an issue, um, especially in a state like Texas. And, you know, just to bring it back to the vehicle segment, there is kind of an overlap there with, um, you know, within the vehicle segment in terms of a disproportionate amount of that pollution burden being placed on communities of color or low to moderate income communities as most of them live on um, most of this pollution is on highway corridors or near industrial facilities where um, some of these communities reside and this is absolutely an issue we have to address when we're when we're talking about clean energy solutions, they need to be available for everyone, to everyone. So um, 
it's something I'm really passionate about, as I'm sure you can tell. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it needs to be part of the conversation. Tell you what, just head on down to Port Arthur. You'll see it firsthand. I covered, uh, I covered that city for a couple of years, and, uh, yeah, it's, you got folks literally just butted up right against the, the fence line there of, of refineries. So it's, uh, no, yeah. it's, it's a definite thing over there. That is for sure. So, uh, Sarah, I'll tell you what, you got a brand new uh, report coming out. I was, I was pestering you all week, uh, trying to get you away from that, but, uh, you were able to get it done real quick. Give the folks just a little tease on, uh, what, what this report is and, and, uh, when they could find it. Yeah, absolutely. We're hoping to release the, the report by the end of this week. Um, it will be talking about CCEQ's uh, vehicle incentive programs and grants that hopefully will help to overcome, has helped, and will continue to help overcome this barrier that I've touched on of the upfront capital costs of switching to electric vehicles. So keep an eye out for that. We should have it for you all soon. And that will be on the uh, edf.org website? Correct. Look at you. you you've been in, she's been in Texas long enough. She's even throwing the y'alls out there, see? She's even throwing the y'alls <laughs> out. I sneak out. it in here and there. You can't Being help the it. Being Chicagoan, you, I am. You can't help it. I, I'm sorry about your bears. Hey, your, your bears just had a big win the other day. So, uh, listen, it's it's all good for you. Listen, Sarah. We'll you take anything we can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sarah, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much. Like I said, we've had, what, three guests in a row now, Mike, where we've had their, it was their, their podcast debuts. And uh, I think we can say now safely that we've been three for three with a tremendous debut so far that's absolutely correct sarah did not disappoint (laughs) you delivered everything we thought you would thank you so much for your time today uh well y'all have been terrific hosts (laughs) i've had a great time thank you so much thank you once again to miss sarah ryan from the environmental defense fund she was fantastic mike and i'll tell you what like i said um whether it's been mergers and acquisitions hydrogen and now vehicle electrification uh we have certainly learned a lot this month on the green insider yes we have and hopefully our listeners have too and they've enjoyed it uh, as we continue to bring guests on that come from a little different marketplace in the renewable sector to help educate not only ourselves but everybody out there in the listening land so when they go to the green insider they can know that they're going to as Fred say, what's your line? You'll know more about renewable energy after you're left than before you stop by. That's exactly correct. That's and that, that's why we got into this business of podcasting renewable, the renewable marketplace. So, everybody, thank you all for listening. And, Fred, thanks for finding Sarah. It was a terrific find. She's a... Uh, she delivered a lot of information that was good for all of us. No, she had a lot of good stuff. And, um, you know, not just from the vehicle electrification part, but the energy poverty, which, again, has, has touched uh, the state of Texas and not just the state of Texas, but just throughout the country as well. So, uh, again, just a lot of good information there. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, regarding that energy poverty, as I referred to in the uh, podcast about the light poles and the extra power mm-hmm. going to the charging stations for yeah. these EVs, those same light poles can be designated with wireless internet. So in those poverty-stricken energy areas, or the energy poverty areas, so she called it, they could have Wi-Fi. And so now when there's remote learning going on, okay. those kids can have Wi-Fi as they sit there and try to do their homework away from the classroom. Especially so, right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming on 
in this renewable space. And please, people, stay with us to find out more. No, listen, we're going to have a uh, – listen, we're finishing up 2020 with a bang. We're glad that you guys have been able to stick with us uh, throughout the second half of 2020. And, uh, listen, we, we've had a lot of good guests on, and it's been a team effort, so we definitely want to thank everybody that's helped make that possible. And uh, we'll have one more episode for the rest of 2020. Uh, Mike and I will do a recap of – what, uh, what's going on and some of the guests we've had and just kind of get you ready for 2021 because we've got a very exciting partnership that we're going to announce in 2021 that uh, we're extremely excited about and it's, it's, it's a multi-level partnership but we're doing one here with the podcast as well and so uh, just a lot of good stuff going on and, and uh, we hope that you guys have enjoyed it. As always, make sure uh, for those of you listening, whether it's on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you subscribe. That's numero uno, right? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and then if you're on Apple iTunes, we ask you that you leave a five-star rating because, as our boy Mike alluded to, when you leave here, you'll know more about renewables than before you stop by. So, once again, everybody, stay safe, stay masked up, do your part, okay? We've got one more episode before we put a bow on 2020, and uh, I know we're all ready to put a bow on 2020. So, the next time we talk to you guys, Christmas will have gone. We'll be getting ready to wrap up 2020. So, again, everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever your persuasion is. God bless. Have a happy holidays. For Mike Niemer, I'm Fred Davis. This has been the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Happy holidays. God bless.